I'm Dr. Rick Worland. I'm a professor at Meadows in the Division of Film and Media Arts, and I'm speaking today with my friend and colleague, Dr. Mark Karens. After completing his bachelor's degree in chemistry and mathematics, Mark Karens realized that watching, making, and writing about movies was more fun than working in a lab. So he went back to film school and now teaches all areas of filmmaking at SMU. Aside from teaching, he does make his own films, he does post-production work, and writes about surround sound, home theater, and the director Michael Bay. Not all at the same time. He doesn't do that simultaneously. And he also serves as a faculty advisor for SMU's Student Filmmakers Association and the Summer Film Program. Outside of his teaching responsibilities, Mark also works with SMU's Residential Commons Program, serving as the faculty in residence for Morris McGinnis Hall. You were one of the founding members of that. And in 2014, very proud to say that Mark was named a Meadows Foundation Distinguished Teaching Professor. So we're very glad to have Mark in our division. And uh, good morning to you, Mark. Good morning, Rick. Well, let me ask you uh, first, this was a question that was asked of me, and it's always interesting. Tell me just a little bit about your growing up and how you really got interested in film and television, or did that come after much later after science and math? Um, I, I was always interested in watching movies um, and watching television, obviously, as all kids do. Um, so, you know, I always enjoyed those sort of things as hobbies. Uh, it was never anything I'd sort of planned on as a career till much later. Um, I, can, I will say my favorite movies growing up uh, were Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Ghostbusters, which are still two of my favorite movies. And we watched those repeatedly to the point that back in the VHS days, we had to uh, actually buy second copies of the VHS tapes because the first copies got worn out. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very good. Yes, that's, that's very good. Uh, that's almost like in the early days of film, they would if, if there was a really popular title, they would have to go strike a, a new negative, even or make a new negative because they'd worn it out. Yeah, you know, that that's that's wonderful. So so Ghostbusters, you've internalized that one and and know all the jokes and everything. Yeah, I think although that that's an interesting one because you know I watched it from a very young age and there was probably like a twenty year period where every time I saw it, I would pick up on new jokes mm. or you know there's a lot of innuendo and stuff in there that you don't pick up on mm -hmm. as a kid, and so there it was probably into my 20s that I was still picking up new little jokes that I hadn't gotten before or noticed. That's that's really that's really good. Movie that keeps on giving. Yeah. But that's not the way you went. Uh, you originally went into uh, mathematics uh, and you got a, a degree in, in uh, chemistry at Valparaiso University. And how did you get into math and science? Uh, well, that was, that was always my strength. Those are sort of um, growing up and going through school. I was just very good at the math and science classes and enjoyed doing them. Um, my dad is a, uh, he's retired now, but he was a research chemist. And so that was sort of following in the family tradition as well. Um, and, I'll, you know, I think if you're, if you're good at something and enjoy doing it, it sort of makes sense to sort of follow that track for a while. And I did, and I had a great experience at Valpo and um, in both of those departments and enjoyed my classes and everything in there. So it was never anything where I didn't like the, didn't like those. I always enjoyed doing them. 
Well, then what was the, what was the transitional moment? What, is there a, a, an actual moment or was there an incident? Was there some, <laughs> something that, that turned you away from, uh, from the, the STEM field to go into film and television? Oh, I, I don't know. There was an actual incident. I was laughing when you said that. Cause I'm yes, like, well, there, there, there were plenty of incidents <laughs> yes. in the lab. We, we realized very early on my strengths in chemistry are in theoretical chemistry and mm. you put me in a lab and I just break glassware left and, and right. Smoke. I love the smoke. Um, yeah, never burned the lab down, so that was something. Um, I, I guess I would say I, it's, I, I never saw this as as big a transition as I think it kind of comes off on as comes off as when you read it. Uh, my my goal from uh, I don't remember exactly when, but kind of from some point in college on, was to be a college professor. Hmm. Um, and so from my perspective, I kind of never really changed that goal. It was more sort of figuring out then, okay, what area of professoring oh. would I like to be in? Um, and, uh, I, you know, I'd always kind of had a hobbyish interest in, you know, like, like I said, watching movies and stuff like that. And as I went through college, I had some opportunities, um, through Valpo's honor college, honors college, um, to do some more film oriented things and write some papers on films and kind of do more critical analysis sort of stuff and also do some production work. And uh, just re really enjoyed that. And when it came time to um, apply to grad school, which you have to do if you want to be a professor, mm -hmm. um, I actually applied to programs in math and programs in chemistry and programs in film as well because I had a wow. sort of burgeoning interest in that. Okay. Um, and kind of said, well, we'll see what options I have and where things take me. Um, and uh, I, I had some options to go a, a few different ways. Um, the only film program I got into of the ones I applied to was Northwestern, which was also ironically like the best one of the ones I applied to. <laughs> um, funny how that works. Um, um, but if I hadn't gotten in there, uh, my backup plan was I was going to be at UW-Madison working in STEM and probably would hopefully be professoring in those fields today. Yeah. Well, oh, that's interesting that you really knew that it, it, that's an important element that links those things together that you really knew you wanted to teach first and first and foremost but you obviously uh, obviously had some options yeah and, I, and I always, i've always liked teaching even from in high school um i worked as a tutor in summer in summer schools while i was going through college um, my sort of work study jobs were tutoring um for the athletics department i tutored um science and math and then also within the chemistry department i worked as a lab aide and as a tutor there and I always really enjoyed that teaching aspect and working with students and sort of had figured out I wanted to work with college age students, uh, which now that I have young kids and see what the teacher is trying to teach them go through, I'm <laughs> yes. convinced I made the right choice for me there. Um, and and I, I guess the, the only thing I would say about sort of the transition was I still really like math and chemistry. I'm sort of nerdy in the sense of like if a math puzzle, you know, comes up in the paper, or I come across something, I'll like pull out a pen and paper and sort of mm -hmm. try to work it out because I find that enjoyable. Um, I, I realized through one internship I did where I was kind of working full time in a chem lab that I was probably going to get tired of doing that if I was doing it every day for year after year after year. And I didn't want to become bored of that or come to dislike something that I really had enjoyed. Um, and so I figured, uh, maybe I should look for something else to kind of spend my days doing to maintain that interest and not you know start to hate something that i'd spent a lot of time in my life on yeah and i think we are all so lucky in this line of work that we every day get to do something we love 
to do and and that's that's always been one of the great appeals of it to me even even the drudgery you, that we occasionally deal with we feel like well but there's soon i'm going to get to go back and write and talk to students and those kind of things yeah, you're absolutely right i feel it feels so fortunate um i mean being a professor in general is a great job and I, where i ended up at least uh is a really good fit for me and I remember very specifically, I was out running with a friend of mine one time who was, who was a lawyer and had just had like a horrible day and was talking about this, you know, this horrible thing he was working on and how, you know, much he hated this particular case or whatever. And he's like, what did you do? And I was on sabbatical that semester. <laughs> and I was like, well, this morning I watched a movie and then in the afternoon I wrote down what I thought about the movie. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> like, I really, I have nothing to complain about. Well, it, you know, it occurs to me when we were talking that, uh, that the, the novelist and eventually screenwriter director Michael Crichton mm -hmm. was actually a medical doctor. That's correct. And George Miller, who did all the Mad Max films, also a medical doctor. So I, I wonder if there is some kind of connection in there. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when students ask, like, well, how can I, you know, sort of make it into the film industry? I'm like, well, you know, any possible trajectory you can imagine somebody has taken. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if doctors are more or, or less likely. I will, I will say myself, I, I've found that kind of um, that background in learning how to think like a scientist and particularly work through problems logically um, does come in very handy at times, particularly like working as an editor where it's like, okay, I have these pieces of footage, you know, how can I put them together in the most effective way and, and trying to think of it analytically and like figure out what the right process is to do that in the right ordering. I, I feel like that mentality has served me well, even if I'm not using the specific you know, knowledge of reactions or whatever, but the training in the scientific method I found to be helpful. Oh, that's, yeah. The, and I know that anytime I'm, I've, I've ever been asked to comment on you in some way, I always say, well, he's very organized and he's very methodical, not rigid. He just seems to have the organizational skills to pull off a variety of tasks. And it's all, and I, and I'm envious because I, <laughs> I have next to none sometimes it seems like. Well, I'm glad I come off as organized, whether or not I actually well, am. It's part the of illusion the, is maintained. That's part of the key. That's what teaching is about. <laughs> yes. Oh, of course I know all about this. Give the performance that you do, even if you're a little uncertain. Um, I recall um, I was chair at the time when your application for the teaching position came in here, and there were a lot of good ones at that time. And tell me about your, tell me the part of this story that I don't know, that about how you took this opportunity, what you thought about it, uh, what your own ideas were about coming to, to SMU. Um. Well, uh, I was on the I was on the job market as all of us are looking for professoring jobs at some point towards the end of grad school, um, and I really didn't know much about SMU. Um, I'm from the Midwest and um, had always gone to college uh, and you know lived around the various northern parts of the Midwest there, um, and so it was not super familiar. But it was um, a job that I saw came up as an opening that seemed like could sort of fit my skill sets, so I had applied. Um, I would say the, the the two things that sort of stick out in my mind from that particular process, one was this one actually, um, the opportunity to come down here and interview came up fairly late in the um, my sort of job hunt time frame. I actually had a couple offers already at the time. Um, and when I think it was you called to mm -hmm. in, invite me, I was actually 
on the road driving to Chicago to defend my dissertation that day. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Um, yes. Yeah. Cause yeah. At, at the time I was living in St. Louis. You had one of those cell phones, I believe that you were talking to me. on. I yeah. did. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Which was new at the time. It was new at the time. Yeah. yeah um, my, my wife was in grad school at Wash U in St. Louis and I, w- I had been um, living down there while I was writing, but I, you know, my grad work was at Northwestern. So I was literally driving up that day and I had a cell phone because for the period when I was at Northwestern, she was in St. Louis here's a you know big idea for the young folk who would not remember this um i had gotten a cell phone not because i needed a portable phone but it was a really cheap way to get long distance because you could call any number and just pay your normal minutes whereas at, in those days like calling from chicago to st louis yeah. was expensive per minute so I had we to got, wait till their evening late, right right late, late after evening. 9 p.m after nights 9 and weekends right, yeah exactly. so um so we had gotten cell phones just for making long distance calls um so i i was sort of an early adopter in that sense mm-hmm. um but yeah so, so you call us on the way driving up there and um, if I remember correctly, I had sort of asked like, you know, what the time frame was going to be because I had a couple offers that were waiting on me. And I'm like, you know, if this can happen quickly, I'd like to get down and interview, but I also don't want to turn down an offer, go down there and see it's not a good fit for me and not have something. So thankfully for me, um, it was able to work out pretty quickly. Um, uh, I was pretty fortunate. I think the year I was looking, there were a number of schools that happened to be looking for people with some expertise in sound. Um, which is a relatively uncommon specialty within our field. Um, and that I, I can't claim any credit for that. It was, you know, sort of blind luck that my particular field happened to be in demand that year. And had I graduated a year earlier or later, I might not have been so lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other thing I remember from that process was when I was first, uh, I came down here to interview, um, got in sort of late at night. I think you, you picked me up at the airport, took me to the hotel, and then the interview was going to start the next morning. Um and another of our colleagues, uh, Kevin Heffernan, uh, picked me up to in the morning to take me to breakfast. And uh, one of the first, <laughs> and I think it was him and Sean uh, met up with me. Um, and one of the first things I said was like, well, probably, you know, do, do you know much about SMU? I said, no, I don't. I said, well, probably, you know, the only thing you've heard of us for is the death penalty. And I have I didn't follow college football at all. So I had no idea what they're talking about. And I'm like, like you guys kill people here. I'm getting really <laughs> freaked out. Well, answer yes. <laughs> and so somebody had to explain to me the whole college football scandal thing. And I'm like, okay, okay, no, I didn't know about that. Now that's my run impression. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They're still reeling from from that, but that seems to be drastically changing even as we speak. After all these years, yeah, been been very, a very exciting year. Uh, I don't know when this podcast will come out, but sitting at seven and zero as yeah. we're here right now, which you know I think is is great for the students. I've, I've definitely noticed um, within the commons just seeing um, you know the students getting excited about the games in a way that they haven't in past years. So yeah, that's great for them. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite classes to teach? You do a variety of production classes, I know. Yeah, um, there's you know there's things to enjoy about all, about all of them. Um, I, d- I definitely enjoy um, teaching the sound class and teaching editing just because those are sort of my own personal specialties and what I do. So it's something where I, f- I feel like ver- uh, I can bring um, a sort of more experienced perspective in those particular areas. Uh, but I think honestly, my favorite class to teach is our intro class, um, production one, or sort of like inter- intro video production. Just because it's really fun kind of seeing people, um, you know, whether they, you know, are coming in as film majors and have done some video stuff in the past and this is their sort of first, like, real formal training 
in it or a lot of times you know we'll get some non-majors who've never made a video and it's their first chance to really explore that side and it's just re it's really exciting because it's before um it's before they kind of get bogged down in like the big shoots and all the equipment and stuff that yeah. you use in some of the more advanced classes and really a chance to really just focus on like okay what's the story i want to tell with my video and how can i go do that and they get you know they do some really good work in it um but are you know sort of really proud particularly when it's their first chance to get to do so and that's always just fun to they're all so excited about doing it um and not that the students in our advanced classes aren't as excited but sometimes those are more stressful for them too where they're trying to put together a casting crew of 20 people and you know we need six vehicles to transport transport all this equipment and stuff and there's a lot more logistical challenges uh, yeah but they're starting to step up into closer to the real world of how complicated films and television programs get made yeah and well and even in production one that's always one, one of the things they say when they come out is like well i I didn't realize how hard this was. <laughs> <laughs> the line I often use with students is that it's just as hard to make uh, a bad movie as it is to make a good one. Well, there, there was a great Seth Rogen line. Um, he was being interviewed about some movie he did, and I, I don't remember what it was, but it was something that wasn't very good, and he was sort of own, owning up to that. He's like, what people don't get is just to get a bad movie made is really hard, <laughs> and to get a good movie made you have to do all that hard stuff, plus like a million more things just have to go perfectly right. Yeah. Or I remember years ago, Whoopi Goldberg was making movies in the late 80s and early 90s, and many of them were not gems. And she was <laughs> getting a lot of criticism, and Whoopi says, you know, I'm picking the best of the stuff they sent me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the... That's anyway, if it was know. easy to come up with a great script and then execute it really well, everyone would do it. Everyone would do it, yeah. What um, do you have some uh, uh, both a, a, like a, a really great class experience uh, that you particularly remember maybe over the course of a semester or just a particular day or something like that? And then also, do you have a <laughs> do you have a worst experience you could remember that you'd be willing to talk about? Oh, man. Um, there's, you know, there, there's a lot of good days. You know, you, there's al there's always just sort of there's things that are fun for me. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure you've had the same experience. If there's a particular clip you're going to show or something that just really excites you, like this really is a, just a cool movie to get to share with you. Yes, um, yes. I always enjoy the, those days. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think a, a worst one is tough. I mean, we've all had sort of teaching days that didn't go quite the way we planned. That's so true. Um, I think one that sticks in my head that actually turned out to be good, but was, uh, felt really bad at the, at the time was, um, it was either my first or second semester teaching, so I sort of hadn't I hadn't figured out um, some of the strategies to overcome disasters mm -hmm. as well, um, or you know hadn't run into some of the problems before. And we were doing a class shoot where everyone sort of had pre-assigned roles for what they were going to do on the set. So like this person's going to be the cinematographer, and this person's going to run the sound and stuff. And they're sort you know it's kind of their first chance where they were trying to work as a crew, and. We sh and so we show up for class and the director and the DP who are like, you know, on set kind of the two big wigs, most, you know, making the most important decisions yeah. didn't show up. Oh, that's going to slow you um, up. Yeah. yeah. And I, and, uh, you know, now, now I sort of plan ahead, like, okay, if this happens, I know how to deal with it. And if this ha goes wrong, I know how to work around that. But I was kind of thrown for a little bit of a loop and I was like, well, uh, a couple of you just got promoted assistant director. You're now the director. Uh, 
assistant camera. You're now the cinematographer. You guys have five minutes. Come up with a shot list, and that's what we're shooting. Um, you know, and and I will say that shoot did not go the gra- the greatest it could have, but you know, it was a learning experience for everybody. And, and you know, with those kind of class shoots that we're just doing in a couple hours, you know, within a class, we're not shooting for high art. It's more getting some practice at these at you know these jobs and at working together as a crew. So I, th- I think all the students had a you know, had a good experience and got something out of it, but that was definitely one that threw me for a loop. And well, in any endeavor, when you're trying to teach something uh, and you're going through it yourself as a, as a novice, uh, it's really important to teach students how to fail and, mm-hmm. and to how to uh, learn from what they've actually failed to do <laughs> without feeling just terrible. Like I, you know, I have no talent. I have no ability. I can't possibly do this. Yeah, well, and I think for them it was, you know, the the positive was sort of seeing like, okay, here's a terrible situation, um, you know, that really could be a disaster for your shoot, and you know, making making a decision that okay, we have to find some way to push through it, and we, you know, we came out of the class day with we got footage shot, we got through the whole script, whether or not the movie was good, like there was a movie in the can at the end, so you know, I th- I think that I agree, I think that's a good sort of, you know, even in bad circumstances, you figure out some way to work around it and persevere yeah well let's shift gears a little bit and and along those lines and uh, talk about your work being the longtime advisor for the uh, extracurricular student filmmakers uh, association that whole uh, organization has evolved greatly since i've been here yeah, and that's really, it's an extracurricular organization. It's run by the students, which is which is great. And I would say over the years, my advising duties with that have sort of decreased because they take on more and more of sort of the leadership themselves. And I'm really just there to advise them um, when they, you know, when they need it or, you know, chime in if there's something they're doing that I think, you know, here's a potential problem or issue with this. Um, but it's pretty, it's it's very student run. And like you said, it's, it's evolved over the years. There've been, and it, it kind of depends on the leadership, uh, the student leadership each year and the particular group of students they have in it, what they want to do. So there's some years it's been more like a film appreciation group. Some years they've gone very heavily into productions. Um, this year is kind of a mix where they've done some workshops, they've done some shoots, but they also do, you know, outings to go see movies together and talk about them. So it's a, it's a great group. And I, and I like that, uh, there's obviously I think what we do in classes is really important, but it's a good chance for students interested in film, whether they're filmmakers or not to get together and engage with that passion outside the classroom and kind of do whatever's fun to them. Have you had some direct input over the years? I mean, perhaps not so consciously articulated, but I mean, trying to steer it in that direction so that they get the most out of it. Um, I think I, I think I, I guess what I would say maybe where I've had the most impact there is every year when they're sort of the exec team is sort of planning out for the year, what they're going to do. Um, I'm able to bring in the history in a way that they can't necessarily because students are only here for a few years. Right. And, you know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, we were thinking of doing something like this. And I'm like, hey, if if you guys want to do that and that's what your vision is for us, that's fine. Here's some other years where they had tried to do something like that. And here's the things that worked and here's the things that didn't about it um, and can bring in some of that history as advising to them and at least hopefully help them steer clear of there are some major pitfalls that had happened in the past. Like, okay, make sure you don't do it this way because that didn't work very well. Um but still kind of leaving it up to them to do what they, what they want the organization to be. And it seems to be that they're 
they're doing that. I mean, they are, yeah. they are, they're taking it in, in, in that direction completely. And then another element of your career here at SMU, you were one of the first uh, faculty and residence professors, and your entire family lives in an apartment uh, with the students. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Uh, it's, it's been fun. I'm actually in my last year right now. So this is our, our sixth year, and we are going to be moving off the end of this uh, school year. They're doing a search right now for who will come in to uh, replace me, which I'm very interested to see who comes <laughs> in. And obviously the students in my comments are interested in seeing who comes in as well. Um, it's It's been great. Um, it was really exciting. Um, I was on one of the committees setting up the residential commons program um, before it launched, and there were obviously probably half a dozen committees working on various aspects of that. Um, but from the first meeting I, on that committee, um, I remember coming home and talking to my wife like, hey, SMU is going to be starting this new thing in a couple of years, and they're going to have faculty living in um, – at that point, we were still saying dorms because they hadn't decided mm -hmm. what the name of it was going to be. Um, that sounds really intriguing I've, about the chance to work with students like that. What would you think? And so we had sort of had that on our radar from very early on. Um, I've always liked sort of working, you know, closely out of the classroom with students, um, you know, through SFA as an example or the summer film production, you know, even more directly. Um, and that just, that seemed really exciting. And then when, as it continued to develop, it continued to sound like a really cool opportunity. And when they were looking for applications for the first group, uh, I definitely wanted to apply and did. And I think in some ways was fortunate, kind of got the early mover advantage um, <laughs> in that there were less people applying in that first round before anyone had a sense it of what this would be. It was very few, in fact, wasn't it? I think, they, I think the first round they had uh, somewhere between like 20 and 24 oh, people apply. That's quite a few. Um, but at that point, they needed someone for all the buildings. That was for like 11 spots. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you, you know, you're just looking at it statistically, your odds of getting in yeah. were much better. Yeah. Um, and since, you know, and since then when people have seen sort of what it is and what that role involves um, and seen some of the benefits of that and, and, you know, those of us who have been doing it, kind of how we've enjoyed it, the, there have been more applications now, but now there's, you know, only a couple of openings a year and they're still getting the same kind of number of applications for it. So your odds are not as good. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really fun. It's, it's been great. I love all our film students. Uh, and, and really enjoy working with them, but it's also been nice to get a much broader cross-section of SMU because I might go entire weeks before that where the only students I ever engage with are film students, mm -hmm. and now on a regular basis, you know, to get to talk with students who are doing other things around campus um, is, you know, is, is fun and just giving me a different perspective on that and a much better perspective on kind of student life and what they're going through and getting a chance to help create that community within MOMAC, um, which is my commons has been a great experience and really, really enjoyed it. Um, but I think we've, we've been, haven't been there six years. I think we're about ready to go. My kids are definitely ready to go. They've sort of figured out that not everybody lives in a college dorm and are ready <laughs> to have a house and have been pestering us about that. So, well, that's, that, that sounds like a very definite sign in that case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going back to your academic career, you are in fact unusual in our field, certainly in that you are a filmmaker and you teach film production courses primarily, but you you're also a scholar and you've written books and articles. Uh, your book 
called Beyond Dolby Cinema in the Digital Sound Age, uh, has often been uh, cited by many people. And I see your name and your book titles and your articles showing up in a lot of publications related to sound. How do you, how do you balance those two things, the practical and the historical or theoretical? Uh, I, you know, I guess, I, I guess this would kind of tie back to starting out in the STEM areas and moving into film. I just kind of have a lot of interests and like to pursue all of them. My, you know, my official grad training, I went through a PhD program, so it was in research and writing. Um, I was fortunate that at Northwestern, they allowed us to do a lot more cross-training, so I took a fair number of production classes as well while I was there um, and got to do some filmmaking. Um, and I've just kind of kept being interested in both the production area and the sort of research area. And again, we're really lucky in the kind of job that we have that I can pursue both of those. And I tend to sort of bounce back and forth a little bit. So when I was working on Beyond Dolby, I was really focused on that for a couple of years and not doing any production and came out of that. And I'm like, all right, I need a break from research and spent a couple of years just working on productions. And then kind of like, okay, well, now I've been doing production for a while. I want to go work on some other research projects. And I kind of just bounce around it, whatever is, you know, whenever there's something of particular interest to me, whether it's a story idea or script idea I have or a particular um, topic that I think um, deserves some attention. And on on the research side, you know, you, you mentioned Beyond Dolby being cited. I, uh, you know, I hope I hope it's partly because the work is good, but it's also that was just an area that I, I felt like was important that nobody had been talking about like really nobody had been looking at surround sound and kind of got the first mover advantage there as well so now everyone who writes about surround sound has to cite me even if it's to say well <laughs> karen's wrote this and was completely wrong here's actually the right thing um but you know i, I you know i think the the value of that was uh bringing that topic kind of into the conversation and that's kind of where most of my research work has tended to be if there's an area that i think is deserving of attention that just nobody is talking about i want to bring it up and kind of get that talked about. You know, you, you mentioned at the beginning, one of the areas I'm working on is Michael Bay. The thing that fascinates me about Michael Bay is from a financial perspective um, in terms of box office and, and um, success in the film business, he's clearly one of the most successful directors of all time and has been virtually ignored in terms of media and scholarly attention. And then to say like, oh, Michael Bay, he makes those crappy action movies. <laughs> that interests me when there's something that, you know, Clearly, a lot of people are responding to positively or negatively, and just no one in the scholarly world pays attention. And so that kind of got me intrigued about working on that project to see, well, there's got to be something going on here that makes everyone want to ignore him academically. <laughs> makes, makes him such a subject of ridicule, although he's, of course, tremendously successful. It's, it's laughing all the way to the bank. Absolutely, for many years uh, on, on that. Uh, what do you see? What do you? What would you like to do? Uh, classes you'd like to teach, or things you'd like to see happen with our program in the in the in the coming years? Um, I mean, I think our program has been growing and um, getting uh, getting better. We launched our BFA program a few years ago, so having that in addition to keeping the BA program that we have had um, has been really great, just in terms of having a specific degree program where people who were really interested in production got a little chance to go further in depth and make a thesis film and, and stuff like that. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see, uh, I, I guess, kind of continue on the same trajectory we are. In terms of classes to teach, I get to teach a lot of classes that I like. I enjoy all the classes I do. Um, the one thing I sort of have in my head that uh, at some point would be fun to teach would be like an advanced editing class because we just haven't had, you know, the 
sort of bodies to do it. Um, but with the BFA program, if that continues to grow, you know, in something that, you know, in my head as an editor would be really fun to do for people who wanted to go that path to teach something beyond sort of a one semester basics, but really dive deeper into that craft. And, and a lot of people going into to film media production, they work in the editing room a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I think one of the great things about our program is everyone gets sort of cross-trained in all the areas and comes out kind of knowing at least enough to be dangerous in every area. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think particularly of our, of our graduates, those who stay in the uh, Dallas area in particular, a lot of them work in editing and post-production. So, as a way of kind of summing this all up, uh, what's some of the best advice that you were ever given at any point about your career or your life or teaching uh, that you still hold on to today? Uh, well, there's, a, there's an old line that um, you're always more likely to regret things that you didn't do than the things that you did. And so if you get an opportunity to try something different or do it, you know, go ahead and do it and maybe it succeeds or maybe it fail, fails, but that's better than always wondering what would have happened if you had tried it. And I can't say that I do that every single time there's an opportunity, but it's something that I found useful in particularly making some of the different jumps in my career, trying out different things that I wasn't, that might not have worked out. Um, I've always found I'd, I'd rather go that way than have a regret about, oh, I should have tried this and I never did. Yeah, well, that's that's very important. When we were talking about football and the SMU death penalty and so on, you said you had little interest in uh, college football at that time. Uh, and I know you are are quite a quite a football fan, profe- professional football. And I'm I am if, a professional I, football fan, yeah, or a profe- fan of professional fan football. Fan of professional sure. football, both of those things. And let's see, I can't quite remember. Is I'm I'm sure it's the Cowboys are your favorite team, right? Oh Lord, as I'm sitting here wearing the Packers shirt and everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit of a fan of the Green Bay Packers, um, and claim, claiming Northern Wisconsin as my home, and we live about 40 minutes from Green Bay, so. Yeah, not so much the Cowboys. Uh, it was fun to see the Packers uh, beat the Cowboys this year, and that was enjoyable. Yeah, well, you are a, a you are a, a, a scholar of the Ice Bowl, the legendary Ice Bowl. I know. Yes, uh, another classic uh, Packers Cowboys game that also ended with a, you know, po- positive, best way that could possibly go, <laughs> and quite a bit of frostbite. <laughs> So thank you to Dr. Mark Karens uh, for speaking with us today, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, Thanks, good Rick. luck. Yeah, good luck with your continued work.